Welcome to the Secret Life of Cookies, where we try to solve the world's problems through the miracle of carbohydrates, one recipe at a time, with host Marissa Rothkoff and her dog, Bosco. Hello, today's guest is Allison Riley, creative director and author of a book that I know will appeal to all of my listeners because it's all about food and all of its emotional associations. Not that we have any of those, but um, yeah, even Bosco is nodding his head with this one. And yes, I, I will give him a piece of cheese. Uh, if you can, please leave a review in the Apple Store. I ask that because it helps make people uh, find our podcast more easily. So thank you for that. And on with the show. Hello and welcome to The Secret Life of Cookies. I have a very special guest today, um, Allison Riley, who has written a terrific book. Um, truly, it is a, um, a brilliant, comforting, insightful book that deals with food and uh, lots and lots of emotions. Uh, I think that's the way I, that's what I took away from this book. Um, and you yourself are a writer and a creative director. And I welcome you, Allison Riley, to the show. Thank you so much for coming. Thank you so much for having me. Uh, you've written a book. It's one of those books where I was like, oh, I hope they came. Did they come up with a title first and then figured out what to Because it's called Recipe for Disaster. It has the most sort of alluring cover because it has sprinkles all over it and a delicious looking cake, although a lot of facial hair. Um, <laughs> two great things. Um, and I, I, you know, the easiest, most straightforward question really is, um, how, how did, how did you come up with the idea for this book? I actually, I'd love it if you would explain this book in your words. Sure. Your sort of, ele your elevator pitch. Um, <laughs> I'm so far away to my elevator pitch at this point that it's difficult for me to remember how I did that. But I did. I really did do it that way. I pitched it virtually on the floor of a trade show um, after being unexpectedly asked if there was something I was working on that I would like to develop. Um, but the way I have come to describe it most briefly is by saying that I asked 40 people, really illustrious and interesting creative thinkers of all stripes. Um, if they could name a low point in their life and the food memory they associate with surviving it. And I thought that prompt would um, yield a collection of stories that sort of adhered to a single structure. I thought that the cohesion would be in the question and um, that I, I wouldn't, ha there wouldn't be a billion ways to answer it, which was, <laughs> couldn't have been more wrong. <laughs> um, I got so many different kinds of answers and in through different formats and because of trying to contact so many people um, and people who are not always easy to reach. I ended up interviewing some people, talking to some people by phone, talking to some people by Zoom, talking via Zoom with cameras off, talking via Zoom with cameras on, my camera on, your camera off, <laughs> on the street. Um, and so... It ends up being a really wide-ranging um, series of answers to that prompt that reveal stories that are funny um, and dark, humiliating and sorrowful. Um, but all of them are about an experience that we all 
often endure alone, or if I, um, I think are sometimes isolating. And the book Wild Build as a Cookbook is really about exalting those days, those occasions that we all go through as, as meaningful and as worth sharing as the birthdays and anniversaries and whatever other of our happiest days get so much convivium and festivity and um, mm-hmm. and sort of spoon-specific um, celebrating. Yeah. It's, um, it is, I, there are, there are recipes in this book that I want to cook and yet, um, and I, the first thing that I did after reading this book was make Chelsea Peretti's pesto because to me, pesto is also one of those comfort foods, right? Mostly because it has yes. so much, so much garlic in it. And I really, and her, her version does. And, um, and that it's very comforting to me. And yet. It's not this book to me isn't about the recipes. It's wonderful to read them, but so many so many of the stories in this book are just about I mean to me it's a I keep using the word comforting, but it's a book that I would turn to if I were feeling low. You know, when I'm feeling low because uh-huh. everybody in there has had some experience like one I might be having and eat or some that are completely unrelatable. The food component then drags me in and I go, oh, I had an experience like that once. Or, yeah, I know. Um, right. I, the question, I think, I think you actually probably sort of answered it, but the question I had for you was, um, first of all, I love that you had like, the book is going to be structured like this as we go forward. And then you're like, maybe not. Um, but when you were writing the book, was there, or when you were putting things together for this book, you know, any sort of idea sort of like teeters a little bit when we're just kind of pushing it out, just trying to make it happen, right? You know, you don't know, is it going to work? Is it going to, I kind of make this work. But was there a story that you got in that you were like, oh, okay, I get this. That sort of reassured you that this is, was going to be a great book or was, you know, that was going to really keep going. Yeah. Well, it, 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 this feels like a cop out of an answer, but truthfully, they all sort of did that in their way because as I, as I understood that they were not going to be the same, which I understood Oof. immediately, I Oof. really embraced the difference Oof. of each of them. And then it became about how much difference there was rather than how away from each other they felt. Um, but one of the first people I asked was Laurie Wolliver, and uh-huh. her story Oof. like nailed the prompt. Like it was exactly totally. like it was exactly what I imagined um and i was breathless with how perfect it was relative to my expectation and then uh i think the person who made me whose interview ultimately made me think uh it was early enough in the process where i really thought okay i'm not sure how this is going to come together um Mm -hmm. in the beginning of the interview but by the end of the interview i was certain it didn't matter what my thoughts were about the structure that capturing these stories in their truest as they most truly represented the person who was telling them was just the way to go was Ron Finley who effectively rejected the whole idea (laughs) he just said I don't carry around that kind of pain I don't know why you would I don't have that memory here's the food I like to eat when I'm like want to feel most comforted but it's not because I've 
working anything out. And I just thought yeah. like, I well, I can, I can only hope to ever be that person. Right. I can only right? ever hope to be that person. And that's why I love that that story is in there. Because you're like, yeah. Oh, right. I, I could try and be like that one day. <laughs> right. So, well, and it's, 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 it is not to say that he hasn't been through some things. Of course. But it is to say that, you know, that's how... That's how he moves forward. And that is as valuable as anybody else's story that, that is more detailed or, or more in the weeds of the sadness itself. But he had good details in there about the peanut butter and jelly sandwich oh, that he would 100%. make. 100%. And we really saw eye to eye on the um, way it, you know, can be abrasive against the top of your mouth. We both really related on grilled yeah. versus toasted and. Yeah, it was. It and the was, difference, the very important differences between grilled and toasted. Yes. And why, and I apologize to my brother, Paul, chunky peanut butter is not the way to go. It's not Sorry. the move. I agree. I agree. It's it's very invasive. Um, I don't want invasive sandwich. I want comforting <laughs> sandwich. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right. I don't need to cut up the inside of my mouth because I'm feeling bad elsewhere in my body. Yes. <laughs> Exactly. This is not like self-evangelation through sandwich. Um, right. I, um, as you may or may not realize, I always attend to cook with my guests. I've chosen not to cook with you, but only because we're going to be talking about food the entire time. And, and it's a Saturday afternoon and you should relax. Um, you have a new book and I am going to do the thing that I do with uh, my feelings, which is eat cookies. And that's why I have a whole freaking podcast called The Secret Life of Cookies because they're right. so important. And as people out there know, uh, the people out there who listen, hello, everyone. Um, this uh, podcast started as a way of like comforting us during all the incredibly heinous news cycles of 2019, 2021. And a way of sort of like physical therapy, occupational therapy while talking about the news and dealing with COVID and kind of joining up with people. So cookies to me are very important. And I have two batches of dough that I've been working on all week for recipes that I'm developing. And for me, just like I'm happier if I have a room full of books, um, I'm also happier if I have a freezer full of uh, cookie dough that I can then just pop into the toaster in any mood happy sad i'm i'm a you know non-denominational cookie eater whatever the, the feeling food. cookie good do you have a the food like that yourself do you have a story that de- deserves to be in this book oh yeah definitely i have the two stories that i sort of heads had in the introduction are um the t- maybe the two ends of um we're like response continuum. Um, <laughs> meaning one of them is very literal. I had a terrible breakup um, where there, as I say in the book, there was fire, people died. It was really like dramatic and a level that's hard, that's hard to beat. <laughs> and I, wow. Yeah. Okay. Um, ended up separating from that person. Don't be shocked here. <laughs> and, and then lived alone in that apartment that we shared, but I was there alone now paying for the rent and bills by myself, which meant I was broke. And so I met to, I guess, four months making, four or five months making the same dinner for myself every night. And mm-hmm. um, th- so 
that sad dinner is pretty indelible. Um, though it was the ritual, I think that marked more to me than any of the food. And to be honest, I am also actually a better and more enthusiastic baker than I am a cook. I really don't cook, (laughs) but when I do, I need a recipe. I am somebody who needs directions and measurements, which is why I think baking worked well for me. But, um, and I also enjoy to bake when I am feeling out of sorts. Because it, I find it meditative and its precision soothes my soul. Yeah. Yeah, it's a, it's so, a ritual too. Right, right, right. Um, anyway, and it's a process with results. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> All, yeah. Almost immediate result. I'm not a bread right. baker. I don't break bit, bake bread a lot because I'm like, nope, I need to see this. What did I do? You know, creative yeah. output right now. Yes, yes. Yeah. Um, if you made if you made that dish uh-huh. uh, today, how would you feel eating it? I would feel good eating it. Actually, it is. I you would okay. I would. But here, the other thing I think is important to know is between that dish, <laughs> which was steamed tofu and spinach with tamari, sesame oil, and black sesame seeds, one slice of toast with tofuti cream cheese. <laughs> that was my dinner um, for months. Between that dinner and running this book, I contracted and um, resolved a serious case of Lyme disease. And huh. in the course of that process, I I didn't know that I had contracted Lyme disease until I was well into the infection. I was one of those people huh. who, right, right. right, it was a long, dark road to discovering what was going on. And in the process, I, you know, I couldn't move my arms and legs. I couldn't button my shirt. I couldn't do a lot of things. It was terrible and terrifying. And when I was diagnosed, you know, there's so little to do about Lyme disease that works for everybody. So you're constantly yeah. trying a world of protocols. And I um, ended up changing my diet pretty radically in order to combat the inflammation. And so I now don't eat a lot of things, which is makes me sometimes a drag to hang around with. But it means that that meal suits my current living situation well. <laughs> um, and so I would feel good eating it because I just can. Um, right. And I I also, I like all those flavors still, but I would say, I was. I, somebody recently suggested nope. that I should just have added some rice, which doesn't make a lot of sense <laughs> in the world of making it actually filling. Um, <laughs> and I think there is a memory associated with it that, like, a uh, collection of flavors that uh-huh. um, would be transporting. Right. That's so what I, I, I think that's that what I you wanted s- to know. Yeah, I wanted to know yeah. just how transporting it would be and if it were... Like, you know, there are a lot of painful memories associated with that time, I think, right? Or a lot of... Yes, it was a sad... It was sad. <laughs> Although writing this book has made me feel a bit differently about it in the sense that it was something I think I did for myself that made me feel like I was taking care of myself because I did it day in and day out. Not that I thought about it that way at the time, but I think it felt like if it was one more day that I made that thing, it would. I had my self together 24 more hours you know what i mean it's 
like a, your own prayer. And it also, sus- yeah. it's like literally sustaining prayer. <laughs> right. Like, right. Uh, right. Right. That's, um, yeah. that's incredible. There's so many stories in this book. Um, like even like the one that I'm sort of unexpected was Alice Waters feeling alone during COVID oh, yeah. and how she kept, how she, not surprised with how she coped with it. What, like, can you explain to people what she did or the story of Alice Waters in this book? Sure. I mean, I'm sure I can't do it justice, but I mean, Alice, <laughs> she talks about how the, I mean, one of the things I found so profound about that story, in addition to the fact that her vinaigrette recipes was worth the whole project, right? as far as I was concerned, <laughs> um, she talked about how she realized that her whole social life was based in and around the restaurant and that when that ecosystem kind of collapsed, she really had no set structure for connecting with people. Yeah. Um, which was is so sad to consider, but so true for so many of us. Um, yeah. And I think actually says something very nice about how people, like, you know, what work can mean. But uh-huh. nevertheless, I, um, she started to collect and distribute vegetables and farm boxes and uh, received them. And that made her, that put her back in touch in a regular way in both the, in both practice and um, in a personal way with the people that she worked with and made community with uh, around food, around her restaurant and around um, the, I think, production and politics actually of of farming yeah. and um providing food for commercial purposes anyway it was yeah. a beautiful way to connect back with the people and the places where that the restaurant had relied on and create another kind of reliance both social and economic yeah i think wherever she goes even in the saddest times she manages to create community of some sort i right? know that's a, that is incredible We're yes bring community together um, yeah, I'm not sure how to pronounce his name, but I want to point out that this isn't all about like I had my darkest hour. I don't want people to think like I don't want to read a book that's like blah 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 dark the darkest times because it's not. It's really there. <laughs> it's just how food weaves itself into all the moments. And uh, there is a story. Um, I don't know if I can pronou- pronounce his name right, but Shay Adams or is it Say Adams? Oh, Say Adams. Yeah. Say Adams. That story, man, that was like, yay. Um, Can you, for people who don't know who Say Adams is, um, can you give them a brief taste of that story? Yeah, of course. Well, Say is the, um, first of all, he is like one of the kindest, gentlest men that I know. And he is um, a New York City based artist. He was a graffiti writer. with the best of them in the 70s and 80s. I don't want to age him, but I think that's probably accurate. And um, and he creates commissioned work, has worked commercially at Def Jam, was one of the original founding artists who created sure. the Grabbing there and many of the album covers and like the incredibly recognizable artwork that came out of that label. Yeah. Um, and um, his story was about being with his son himself as a single parent and he was young too he was like he was was young yeah and he was taught he his story is about a trip from new york to dc where 
he had to, he was taking a train via Penn Station. And mm-hmm. I, I mean, all, every New Yorker knows what being in Ugh. Penn Station with a bag you don't want to put on the floor is like, let alone a child. <laughs> it's exactly. And, yeah. So and you, story. <laughs> yeah. And so his, and he was there with all the stuff and, you know, none of the money that could conceivably make that easier. He was there trying to change his child's diaper, knowing that, that right. you know, it's him and this kid. Like, this is, there's no, there are no choices, really. You just have to find a way to do this, keep your kid clean and safe in a place that is not really either one of those all the time. And it's kind of the opposite, especially probably when he was writing this. Yeah. And, <laughs> yeah. And it's, and it, I think it really does a good job of, of describing something that's so banal and that can happen a million times a day, but given a different kind of circumstance, it becomes so exhausting and requires so much output that by the time it's done, you're just spent. And being with a, being with a child in circumstances like that by yourself, knowing you have to hold all your stuff at the same time, trying to keep everything <laughs> off the floor, trying to keep things clean, trying to help your child not freak out. Trying to make sure everybody around yeah. you doesn't think that anything, you know, is going on it's except for you hanging out with, yeah, is, I mean, it, it's nothing and everything at the same time. And <laughs> I loved it that it was such a, a, um, a profound memory for him, even though it's really just a day in the life, you know? It, yeah. But there is a turning point in it, which I'm not going to give away, um, but any of yes. us who's ever traveled through Penn Station um, will go like I did and then just love the ending. It's just really, yeah. Um, yeah. There's, um, it, and so much of the book isn't like, here is a recipe, please cut one shallot uh, into <laughs> mints and then pour 14 cups of flour on top of it or whatever. That would be pretty gross. But uh, <laughs> there is, um, they're just all the different ways that recipes are given. You know, I'm not even going to say written, but that they're given yeah. to you. Really, because for most human beings, they're not like at home testing recipes. Like I am great. I can't match it be two and a half teeth. So whatever, like delightfully uptight way I approach recipe testing. But there are people who just cook, you know? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. And the, I think, um, the, you notice there are a lot of... Uh, People at home, there are a lot of I yellow appreciate notes <laughs> in here, but um, I don't know if I, I want to mention hers first because it, it, I love the, one of them I just love. But Brian Lehrer, the uh, NYC, yeah. talks about um, having dental surgery and what he helped himself, what helped him through dental surgery. And the way he writes it is like, I tend funny. To eat, I, I'm quoting, I tend to eat and cook very simply. And I'm not the person to turn to for recipes, believe me. In fact, I recommend that you skip this page and go on to the next person. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and there's this lovely motif through it about dental surgery. <laughs> it, I know. It, those are the kind of moments, right? But that's the thing is that it's, you know, there are, that's the thing about, um, those kinds of dates it it doesn't matter right if it's like a duck bite which is i think that's sort of how we're dental surgery rates depending on how traumatic it is (laughs) certainly it can get worse than that but in the grand scheme of things it right it's yeah relatively manageable right Um, but 
It's important to know, actually, what you can eat after dental surgery, right? I mean, I just had a tooth removed last year and I had to eat soft foods for five weeks. And I really, like, I couldn't use the whole cookbook. Just how to make a soft food diet interesting for that long. And it's, I don't, there's something about um, just identifying those difficult days of whatever magnitude so that you can prepare for them and create some levity around them because that's what those are the those are the moments when you really actually need that kind of sharing when you really need a prescription for how to make this better festive (laughs) yeah it's 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 evocative too right and we've all been in those moments and you know even if like i said you don't have to have gone through any of these experiences to read the stories and feel along with them right um the one of the other recipes i mean i liked all of them but there's one here about um uh from joan as policewoman Mm, tell people who who joan as policewoman is oh joan as policewoman (laughs) is uh, a new york city badass first and foremost she is a beautiful singer and songwriter um, and she's been performing. I was just talking about it today, actually, from performing her Jonas Police Woman. I'm not sure I know this story. I don't know that I know I can tell it accurately, but she, for a long time, drove an old police car. <laughs> and I, I'm pretty sure that's how her name came to oh, be. Wow. But she's, um, she is a person who has deep curiosity um, and appreciation for food of all kinds. He's like an investigative food appreciator, um, always seeking out something that is delicious and, and unknown. And yet her recipe is so simple. It's, uh, you know, just about baking a sweet potato with this coconut and that, but, and it couldn't be any simpler. I mean, I was delighted by that recipe because I thought, oh, I, can, I really can make that. <laughs> um, and it's, but it's something that's simple that, combined with some other really simple thing turns into something really exquisite and, and is a and all, true it, treat. And the treat to me was just reading her, like hearing her voice as she described, because yeah. she was in the kitchen with you saying, you are required to eat the skin. Don't even fuck around with not eating the skin. You can't yep. come to my house and not eat the skin of this sweet potato. <laughs> yep. She also, I, I really want to... Um, steal the first two lines of this because they could be, you know, if I had a Wikipedia page, this would be the Wikipedia page and it would be, I don't associate food with a specific event. I associate food with every event. Yes, I think food is, is John's friend. <laughs> <laughs> and I, 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 and we could translate that maybe into Latin and get it made yeah. into a family shield. <laughs> I'm for it. Yeah. <laughs> Um, uh, the um, the the recipe I really really want to make like tonight is the um, Puerto Rican stew, a black girl's Puerto Rican stew that um, Jacqueline Woodson. It's this. I I grew up with like my best friend was um, Cuban, and so I realized Cuban food and Puerto Rican food distinct, but. There was a lot, the same spices are in that, that I kind of grew up eating at my friend's house because 
I had not the same experience. My mother was a better cook, but poor Jacqueline grew up in a house where she describes pink chicken breast. It was the rubbery pancakes because I've made rubbery pancakes and they're terrible, you know? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And and going down the hall to her friend's house where the mother was a really good cook and her finally experiencing really good food, including this chicken stew. Yep. I know that I grew up that way also where eating at other people's houses was often way more exciting than eating at my own. And I just love it that her recipe, like what she's carried into adulthood was somebody else's mother's. I mean, I just really like that is it's a it's also like it's really city living. I mean, I'm sure it's everywhere, actually, but I feel about it like at city living where you just can be right over there by di- for dinner <laughs> and that right. person whips up something incredible and then it becomes part of your own <laughs> exactly. culinary lexicon because, yeah, it's it. it and that I, uh, I also love that she added in the sofrito in the ice tray because that is a, that's a extremely handy trick it's a game changer of a trick it is a game changer of a trick and yeah i i i almost want a, a workbook for this cookbook that goes along with it <laughs> and and you know I, one of the things i i i almost wanted to do this podcast like this but just like now pause for a moment and think about your neighbors what did you eat as a kid that your mother didn't cook that was way better at somebody else's house? And I think that's what this book is good at doing, right? What was the grossest moment you had with your newborn child, Penn Station, yeah. or anywhere? <laughs> um, um, and there are a number of COVID stories in here. Yep. Um, and there's a story in here. Uh, I just want to, for anybody, I've, I've written a lot about pizza, so this story meant a lot to me. And it's by Bobito Garcia, a.k.a. Cool Bob no, Love. And no, no. it's when the rims went down and he talks about never having cooked as much in his life as he did during COVID because the a mother of his baby w- was sick with COVID for a while, 37 days of five meals a day or something like that. Yep. Yep. And, we've all, we, and I, we can all feel what he went through. Absolutely. But he, also, he eats very healthfully, which is yep. hard to say. And um, he makes himself, he's like, however tempting, I wasn't trying to go to a pizza shop during all this, like, and he's referring to COVID. The nearest but shop the- was a mile and change walk and I'm vegan now. So he started to make his own sauce. And it, this was um, <laughs> like, to me, like sums up all of New York pizza life and just pizza, the pizza life, you know, because I'm, it's the yeah. pizza life for me. It would not, and so this is him, it would not only feel good, this pizza, because it was a healthy meal. But it was that reminder of New York, pizza outside, bugging out at the shop, walking with a slice with oil dripping out on your shoelaces, and you'd be like, Dad. And that to me, <laughs> was like, I know. The, the whole pizza, New York pizza experience. And it's always like. Well, absolutely. And this guy's making well, it, pizza out of like sweet potato dough. Like, you know I what I mean? He's going like, to say so like far, cauliflower okay. crusts. Yeah. I know. Well, that's it. So interesting. I mean, that like the arc of the pizza journey <laughs> is also so interesting. But I love that story because it is one of those idiosyncratic details of somebody, you know, that that for him, the most um, this heart, like the what are, what's the word I want to use? The, the punctuation in COVID that felt that brought on the most despair for him 
was something that maybe a lot of people didn't notice that basketball hoops went down. You know, that that was, I mean, that must be right. Right. It's like the one thing you can do outside and you, there is community to be had there and you can let off some steam and be around people a little. And then and you outside can't. you thought it was okay. That, yeah, yeah. That's what I mean. And uh, I just, I really appreciated the opportunity to see COVID. I mean, which we've all belabored so much in our telling, retelling and living group. Um, it was so interesting to see that, you know, just what, how that whole time unfolded for somebody else in ways that really impacted their day-to-day life that was not at all similar to mine. (laughs) Um, And yet somehow similar because of that whole, like, we cooked so much. Oh, right. Of course. And and, and you wish you could have had all the dishes. All the Oh, my God, the dishes. Yeah. (laughs) Do you remember COVID, Mommy? Yeah. I was the dish doer in my house and, and, and happy to do it, happy to do it. But <laughs> wow, it was never ending. It was never. It ending. really was. It's really yeah. true. Um, I think we have to wrap up, but I would like to wrap up um, with um, "Rejection Chicken" by Samantha <laughs> Irby. Sure. <laughs> oh. Samantha Irby. Yeah, she's amazing. I'm not sure, she is amazing. I don't know that there's anything she can't write about and and make you wish it was happening to you, just so you could find it funny like she does um one of the things that i appreciated most about that story uh, because and the story begins and ends uh, i mean the book begins and ends with stories that are both about embarrassment which i think is a profound thing to tell a story about because it's really hard um Mm -hmm. and sam's story just opens the book up to like to the what i hope for which is surfacing things that either you don't think you can talk about or nobody ever invited you to talk about or that we don't ever, we just collectively agree not to talk about, even though it's happening to all of us all of the time, whatever version. Exactly. Um, Yep. And by admitting to rejection (laughs) and the, like, and the pathos with which you do everything in its way is so great. It just makes me feel, it, it makes it feel okay. It really is. It negates the shame factor so completely. And that is so beautiful. It's a gift she gives in so many ways throughout all the things that she writes. I was so, I felt very grateful to be able to have that as part of my book. Oh, it's, um, it is, it's a perfectly chosen start to the book. Um, and, you know, there's this, uh, I was actually talking about it um, on Twitter with somebody. And yeah, I was having a conversation on Twitter. Brother. Anyway, I was having a conversation on Twitter about like the... Um, uh, what's the word? The sort of stereotype of, oh, I've gone through a rejection. So when I've been dumped and now I'm going to go get myself ice cream, right? That's it. Right. And when I was like, ed- worked as an editorial director at different places and it was a couple of them were startups, right? And I'd have to write the editorial guidelines. And I'd always write, because two of these that I was talking about were like women-centric or publications or women-centric um, media. And I would always write, do not make the stereotypical joke about, oh, I'm a sad woman. I'm going to go eat a plain of ice cream. Um, Samantha Irby can. I would allow it. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. She's like, first things, it's a step-by-step recipe. And I'm not going to give it all away, but I just want to read two parts of it, which is, sure, rejection, rejection chicken by Samantha Irby. One. 
first things first, you got to get dumped. (laughs) (laughs) Perfect. Everybody gets dumped. It's like, don't worry, we all get dumped. Um, And then she goes on, and this is still in the first first direction in the recipe. And I I think I'm going to use this when I teach people how to write recipes because it's so good. Um, I have a lot of feelings and I eat them, especially when the feeling in question is like pure shit. So you've been rejected. You've, you're some gross combination of mad and or sad about it, but you still need to eat. Go to the store and to get ice cream, but also grab. And then she leads into chicken, cream, spices. Brilliant. Brilliant. Yep. I know. And it tells you how to eat it. <laughs> it doesn't just tell you what to eat, but also tells yep. you how to eat it. I know um, it. How has this book changed if it has changed, but I suspect it might have changed the way you look at food. Um, I think it ha- it's, well, that's, inter- that's an interesting question that I haven't been asked. I, <laughs> I think the way in which it's made me look at food differently is that is the same way, uh, what, here's what I want to say. It has brought my idea of food into alignment with my idea of low point which are that they are what you see is not necessarily everything that is right there is an opportunity there so now when i look at um even as you know a banana and a saucepan i think about melting chocolate in that saucepan and dipping a banana and having it be the like an unexpected cure to somebody's melancholy I think I just, Uh I look at things as being more meaningful, even if not to me, but with the potential of meaning something to somebody because of whatever it's associated with. Um, I think I entered this project thinking about a time we all might have had and Uh food as its result. But now I really look at food as a portal into somebody else's experience that I might just not yet know. And that's... Uh I'm, I'm actually in more meaningful relationship to food than I think I've had before. Just I, I that's beautifully said. Um, opportunity and low points, you know, is uh, yeah, it makes us a very, very powerful book. Um, so I thank you very much for coming on the podcast, and I thank you for sharing this book, and I recommend it. Recipe for Disaster: Forty Superstar Stories of Sustenance and Survival which is a lot of S's, but I got it by Allison Riley. So <laughs> I know I also am, I have a list, which is, I don't know how I wrote that for myself, but nevertheless, um, thank you so much for having me. I'm so delighted to be here. I really appreciate it. My pleasure. Thank you so much for being here and enjoy the rest of your day. I'm going to go bake off these cookies for sustenance. Okay. And- well, I wish I were there for that, but enjoy them. Yeah. I owe them to you. Okay. Thank you so much. Thank you all for joining us. Look for Allison's book, Recipe for Disaster, where all fine books are sold. You can find me on Substack at marissarothkopf.substack.com and on our friend Twitter. If you can, please, please leave a review in the Apple Store. The more reviews, the better. For people to find our podcast. Tell a friend. Wouldn't that be nice? I think so. Thank you and have a great week.